Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we're continuing an exciting series in the book of Revelation, The Triumph of the Lamb, Volume 2. So let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 to 8, as we begin with Dr. Newfeld, a message entitled The Ride of the Horseman. During the next several weeks, we're going to be studying seven important chapters of Scripture, the Revelation chapter 6 through 12. These are chapters that introduce us to the beginning of God's judgment on a world that refuses to bow before its Creator. I mean, the Creator, after all, has absolute rights over His creation. And so bowing before the Creator, well, that's the chief moral obligation of the creation. And it's an obligation that has not been fulfilled. So these seven chapters in Revelation are the beginning of birth pangs, leading us to understand that the time of the end, the time of judgment, the establishment of God's kingdom, that's an inescapable reality. So these chapters will also help us today in our time period to identify what's happening in our world today and to make sense of it all. These are chapters which show us that when God begins his final judgment on this sin-sick world, He will make a distinction between the ones he has redeemed and the rest of humanity, the ones that will not bow the knee before him. So as we study these chapters, we're going to hear some echoes of a previous era, one that harkens back to Israel and Egypt. You know, then God made a distinction between his people Israel and the people of Egypt. And ultimately, when the hour of judgment came, the angel of death spared Israel from wrath for but one reason. Israel's homes were painted with the blood of a sacrificial lamb. And so when wrath fell, wrath passed over those who had been sealed by the blood of the lamb. And in a remarkable way, we're going to hear of the same thing at some time in the future. God's people are not going to be spared the wrath of the emperor Domitian, or rather past that in Revelation 12, the wrath of the beast to come, but they are going to be spared from that which ultimately matters. They're going to be spared from the wrath of the one who sits on the throne of heaven. Since we're starting our study at chapter 6, let's review what the book has set up to this point in time. The book of Revelation begins with John the Apostle exiled on the Greek island of Patmos, which is in the Aegean Sea. John had been given leadership to the church in Ephesus, which is located on what is now the western edge of Turkey. You know, at that time, Ephesus had become the leading city in the Christian world, and the Roman emperor Domitian, in about A.D. 95, concerned with the rise of a religion that he viewed as a threat, had exiled John for preaching the word of God in Ephesus. And in so doing, the Christian faith had lost the last living apostle, and they were left, now for the first time, without the voice of a living apostle teaching the church. No doubt, many Christians feared what this might mean. Furthermore, The seven churches in that area were hard-pressed. The might of imperial Rome stood opposed to them, and they must have seemed like a helpless flock of sheep ready to be devoured by an enemy whose hatred of them left them without any protection at all. And in order to survive, some of them simply went inward and were no longer sharing their faith freely in, in the hope that by compromising, they might survive. But others were standing strong in the storm and ready to lay down their lives for faith in Christ in the hope of the resurrection of the dead. But but in any case, all the churches were hard-pressed. And as John in his exile thought about and prayed about the church that he had been forced to leave behind, suddenly on, on one Sunday while he was worshiping, 
The risen Jesus appeared to him in all his glory. And John, overwhelmed, fell at his feet as though dead and and heard Jesus tell him to write down what he was about to hear and send this, this document of what Jesus had shown him to the seven churches in Asia. And then after seven specific messages to seven churches, John is taken into heaven and he's ushered before the throne room of God and instantly he knows what that means. Here now is the ultimate throne room. The throne of the Roman emperor Domitian is of no consequence. When the one seated on the throne speaks, all of heaven and earth responds to his authority. And so it turns out that the church has an emperor that that Rome knows nothing of. They, the church, needs to trust the one who is seated on that throne and not fear Domitian seated on a lesser throne. And then in the right hand of the one who's seated on the throne, that is, in the hand that symbolizes ultimate power and authority, John sees him holding a scroll, sealed on the top with a row of seven seals. All of heaven seems to pause as the scroll is held in the hand of the one who's seated on the throne. But what is the scroll and why is that scroll so important? Well, that scroll represents the fulfillment of history. The scroll is what the Old Testament prophets called the day of the Lord. The scroll contains the prophecy of the end events, including the salvation of God's people, the judgment on the wicked. It's God's plan of redemption. It's the fulfillment of his purposes in human history. It's the overthrow of evil. It's the consummation of the kingdom of God, and it's the final salvation of his people. And so in a real sense, this scroll is the scroll of destiny the destiny of all peoples. It's the destiny of those who oppose the kingdom of God. It's the destiny of those who are seduced by a world of evil. And it's the destiny of those who call upon God for mercy. But then the call goes out. Who is worthy to break the seven seals? And with that, when the seven seals are broken, to unroll the scroll and set into motion the plan of God. And then comes the answer. John looks and sees a lamb standing there, looking as if it had been slaughtered. You know, it's a a picture of Jesus who, who by his sacrificial death on the cross has been granted a name that is above every other name. He, the one who is the Lord of his church, is worthy to take the plan of God and to bring that plan into reality. Jesus is given to us in Revelation as the Lord of history, but he's also the Lord of the future. And so from Revelation chapter 6 to the end of the book, we're going to see Jesus, the Son of God, putting the plans of the Father into effect. Now, to be clear, as we begin to read Revelation chapter 6, we see Jesus beginning to break the seals on the scroll that he has taken from the hands of his Father. And if we're not careful, we will think that with the breaking of each seal, a portion of the scroll is being read and then being put into effect. But that's definitely not the case. You know, an ancient scroll would require that all the seals would have to be broken before the scroll can be opened. So the breaking of the seven seals is the introduction or the events that must happen before the scroll is opened or before the coming of the very last days. It's not the end time events themselves. It's what happens before the last days. So in a very real way, what what we read when we read of the seven seals that bind up the scroll is what Jesus talked about, as is recorded in Matthew 24, when he sat on the Mount of Olives on the week when he was crucified. 
Matthew 24 is often referred to as the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is describing events before he returns. So I'm reading Matthew 24, verses 6 to 8. Jesus says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. And when Jesus speaks about persecution against his church and false teachers and false prophets, I mean, this also is not the end. And finally, he speaks a word of hope into all of this. In verse 14, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. In other words, to the seven churches, what you're undergoing as you struggle to proclaim the gospel, and what you're undergoing as false teachers are trying to confuse you, and how you're hated by the imperial bite of Rome. I mean, all of this is but the sound of the breaking of the seals as we inch ever closer to the opening of the scroll. And for us today, those who read the Revelation in our time period, that's our experience as well. We're not so different from the seven churches. False teachers are everywhere. Men and women hate us on account of the gospel. Governments and society opposes us. But this gospel must be proclaimed. What we're experiencing is the sound of the breaking of the seven seals. So today, as we read Revelation, we're going to read of the breaking of the first four seals. So here's the first one. I'm going to read Revelation 6, verses 1 to 2. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now those of you who know Revelation well will immediately recognize this as the first of what has been called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Each one of the breaking of the first four seals summons a horse with a rider on the horse. Their ride through the earth are a sign that the scroll of God will be opened and that God's judgment will come in exactly the time that he has announced. But the four horsemen are not related to some distant time. They're what's happening today. See, if you want to understand our world, know this. We're living in the day in which the four horsemen are riding. This month, we're excited to begin airing Volume 2 of Dr. Neufeld's new release series on the Revelation entitled, The Triumph of the Lamb. Volume 2 includes the study of chapters 6 to 11 and includes topics such as the opening of the seals, the 144,000, the great multitude, the significance of the trumpets, and so much more. For most of us, when we hear this series, we'll gain wonderful new insights and a new depth of understanding as Dr. Neufeld helps us to allow the scriptures to speak for themselves in this often reluctantly studied book. Now for this month only, as we did with Volume 1, we want to make the Triumph of the Lamb CD series available for only $10 plus shipping and handling. This is a series you'll want to make a point of hearing. So call us today for this special price at 1-800-663-2425 or you can order online at backtothebible.ca. Of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, it's the first one, the one that's seated on the white horse, 
that is most difficult to identify. I suppose the easiest way to identify him is to see him completely in line with the three others that follow. Since the second horseman represents war and the third one represents scarcity of resources and the fourth one represents death, it's only natural to think that the first one represents something ominous as well. In our passage says that the first one comes out conquering and has a crown. And so it's very natural to think of this one as representing the power that establishes empires. I mean, perhaps even the Roman Empire or even other warlike people who overpower civilizations and bring them under their domination. Now, that may be the case here, but, but let me suggest another possibility. Since the color of this horse is white, we might want to go through the book of Revelation and ask ourselves what the color white represents. You know, in Revelation 1 verse 14, we're told that Christ's hair is as white as wool. And then in Revelation chapter 3, we're told that those who are faithful unto death receive white clothing to wear. In Revelation 4, the 24 elders before the throne are clothed in white. And later in the chapter we're studying, we're going to see that the martyrs are clothed in white. And in Revelation 20, we'll be presented with God seated on the throne to judge the world in righteousness. And there we are told that he is seated on a great white throne. And for me, what seems quite significant is that in Revelation 19, verse 11, when Jesus finally comes, he appears on a white horse. And there he's pictured as having on his head many diadems or crowns, and all the nations fall under his fury. And so from that evidence... I'm led to believe that it is quite likely that the color white is meant to symbolize a very different horse than the other three. But that might not surprise us. You know, I've already pointed out the similarities between the breaking of the seven seals and Christ's dialogue with his disciples in Matthew 24. There Jesus said before the time of the end, there would be wars and persecution and all manner of evil. But he also said, the end is not yet. And in the middle of horrible events, the gospel would be preached to all nations, and then, and only then, the end would come. Or, or to use the imagery of Revelation chapter 6, the book would be opened. And so I tend to view the first horseman of the apocalypse in exactly that manner. It seems to me the rider on the white horse who is given a crown and who goes out to conquer is the one who goes out to conquer by, by preaching the gospel of Jesus. Remember, the color is white. As the first seal is broken, the gospel goes beyond Jerusalem. It penetrates the Gentile world. It, it conquers the hearts of men and women, and it breaks down the strongholds of Satan, and it ushers men and women into the kingdom of God. See, I see the first horseman as Christ calling his people to himself from, from every nation and tribe and language and building an empire of those who live for him. That's the beginning of the kingdom that has no end. And so if my understanding of that is right, we do live in fascinating times. The growth of the global church of Jesus Christ in countries that have been resistant to the gospel up till now seems to me like the sound of the breaking of one of the seven seals. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 3, 11 to 12. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? Lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. See, it's always struck me as an amazing thing that the one who alone is worthy to break the seals has invited us, his people, to in some mysterious sense to participate in the breaking of the seals as we make the gospel known to every culture and, and people and language. And that's our calling. As the gospel goes forward, can you hear the seals breaking? 
That's what makes the book of Revelation so exciting, at least to me. Some of us read the book only to read the things that are going to get worse in the end. I mean, evil is going to increase. The people of God are going to be persecuted. But while that's definitely true, let's remember a few things. The book of Revelation is not a record of the defeat of the people of God. It's a record of their ultimate triumph. And so even while the world rages, Christ and his gospel will not be defeated. The rider on his white horse has gone out. So let's continue to read. I'm reading Revelation 6, 3 to 4. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Now, this picture is not difficult to understand. This obviously speaks of warfare, bloodshed, great human conflicts. You know, in many ways, we, we might think of this as, as no different from what has occurred from the time of the fall until the present. I mean, Cain kills Abel. The descendants of Cain, men like Lamech, proudly asserted their ability to bring down vengeance against anyone who resisted them. Ultimately, great empires would form and crush people underfoot. But when Rome arose, the earth was witnessing the greatest empire up to that point in time. Rome crushed any resistance from Armenia to Spain and into Britain. And in the end, Rome would proclaim something called Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. (laughs) But the Peace of Rome was based upon its ability to enforce peace at the cost of blood. And so it is today. The gospel would be preached, says Revelation, in a world dominated by great struggles for power and angry men slaying each other in order to dominate. The seals are being broken. Now the breaking of the third seal, and I'm reading Revelation 6, 5 to 6. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. You know, the black horse, the the rider holding scales, represents scarcity. A denarius was the average wage of a working man. What John is envisioning is a time in which it would take everything that a man earned to buy even the cheapest of food, just to get enough to feed his family. However, the presence of oil and wine mean that there are luxuries available, but only those few who can afford it will have them. But to put it into practical terms, we find a depiction where the ordinary person is barely able to get by, while a few live in luxury. And in truth, in most of the world throughout history, that's always been the case. Yeah, famines come, but as a whole, people continue to live and eat while a few wealthy rule over them all. Now, this is going to continue until the end. And now the fourth seal, Revelation chapter 6, verses 7 to 8. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked and behold a pale horse. Its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts. You know, the pale horse can represent the ashen color of fear. And that's because behind this horse comes death and Hades. Now, in the Bible, Hades is the place in which the dead go. It's it's the underworld. It's the place where those go that have been killed. But here we're told that the power of this horse will be limited, only one quarter of the earth. 
And that means while there is war and famine and disease and other great troubles that stalk the human race, out of his mercy, God in the present hour simply will not allow these things to consume the human race. You know, in reality, that's our present world. The gospel is going forward, and in many places, life might even seem pleasant. But always at the corners of our worst fears are the forces of destruction that threaten us all. I mean, think of our world. More technology than ever before. For the elite few of the earth, and that includes us in the first world, the average person now lives in a way that that kings of the past could not even have dreamed of. And yet anxiety haunts us as we see the rise of radicalism, of great economic hardship that afflicts the vast majority of the human race, of constant wars that preoccupy our thinking. And yet in the midst of this plight, the gospel is growing and occupying more and more territory. What does all that mean? It means that things are going forward exactly as Jesus said they would. In terms of revelation, it means that the great book of the destiny of the world has not yet been opened. But the book is in the hands of Christ, and ever so gradually, he's breaking the seals as he prepares to unveil the plans of the Father. See, very often I'm asked where we are on the prophetic calendar, and and I, I give the only answer I know. From the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, well, we're in the last days. But the book of destiny has not yet been opened. So when will it open? Well, we can't know only that it's safely in the hands of Christ who has been found worthy to open the book. And for the seven churches of Revelation, hard-pressed by the Roman Empire, that was comforting news indeed. And to us, it's comforting news also. John, this is a series that we've been excited about continuing. But as we do, what do you think is the greatest challenge that lay ahead for us as we approach it? Yeah, I think one of the challenges that we have is to try to allow the book to speak for itself and not to bring our meanings and read it back into the book. So I know that we all have different uh, perspectives on the book of Revelation, but if we'll just allow ourselves to let the book speak for itself, and over and over again, we're going to see the challenge of having to do that because, I mean, I'm going to have to, Ben, make you know interpretive decisions as we go through it. But I think what I'm trying to do more than anything else is to follow the flow of thought and to make my decisions on the way in which I see uh, John uh, unveiling the book for us. So I'm going to do my best, and uh, even if you don't agree with everything I say, it's still going to be okay because we're going to keep being biblical. Thanks so much, John. And return again tomorrow for a continuation of our series on Back to the Bible Canada. Well, we teach the Bible. This is one of the most critical months of the year financially for Back to the Bible Canada. June is our fiscal year end and will dictate many of the plans for ministry moving forward. This month, our goal is to raise $338,000, a lofty but reachable goal as we work together for a common purpose, teaching the Bible. One reason this goal is attainable is the special commitment of ministry friends to a $75,000 match campaign. Perhaps you'd consider a special gift this month that would make the most of this match campaign. Your gift of $100 would become $200, $500 become $1,000. Together the goal will be achieved and the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada sustain and increase in its impact. Call today with your gift at 1-800-663-2425, 1-800-663-2425. 
or visit backtothebible.ca. And remember, what you're investing in is quite simple. We teach the Bible.